this preaching series uh, that we're in right now, which is up, is to articulate what we've come to value and esteem, uh, meanings, postures, way of, ways of being in the world that we've come to believe are beneficial and helpful and worth working at. So if you've been around a while here, you probably have heard each of these postures or ideas from us several times in a variety of ways. But we wanted to share them with you anew in a cohesive way because this is what we're living into. It's where we're headed, and it's informing all of the decisions that we're making along the way. And taking it just a little bit further, these postures are informing our collective theology. So the posture that I get to expound upon today with you is oneness, and it's very near and dear to my heart. And embracing a posture of oneness in the world has changed my life immeasurably. And there are a couple of scripture passages, or actually many, that articulate this posture really well. So lest you think that we came to these things, these ideas, these values out of thin air, no, we really do get these from Christ himself, Christ whom we follow. So here are Christ's words in Matthew 25. Please receive them. This is the message translation. When he finally arrives... Blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne, and then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you who are blessed by my Father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation, and here's why. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he'll turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing. And why? Because I was hungry, and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty, and you gave me no and you gave me no bed. I was shivering, and you gave me no clothes. Sick in prison, and you never visited. And then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? And he will answer, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you failed to do one of these things to someone who is being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. We hear the voice of God in these words. So, In this Matthew 25 passage, Jesus is asserting in a very strong way his oneness with all humanity. He says, they're me, I'm them, and we can hear together, we can sit with this and understand that Jesus is always modeling something that we have an opportunity to live into as well. We can embrace Christ's way of being in the world, And we believe that by way of this scripture and by many others in the canon, and I can even tell you this from my own experience of sitting with Jesus and centering prayer and in other prayer practices, 
and of spending time with the Christ in a mystical way, that Jesus's way of being is of oneness with us and with God. And Jesus is inviting us into the oneness that he experiences with Yahweh and the Spirit inside the Trinity and with all creation. So this is why we can say with authenticity, when we serve the poor, we are serving Christ. This is why we can echo St. Paul's words when he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Because we are living into the truth of our oneness with Christ and with the divine and with all things. And this is a very revolutionary idea. When we realize that we are part of a whole and that within ourselves we are whole and that all of our searching outside of ourselves for wholeness has been futile, that wholeness has been here all along in the spirit within us, this changes everything. And when we realize that the young black man shot by police in the street and bleeding out and dying or the young indigenous woman who has disappeared as part of the ongoing epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women is us, is part of our whole, that changes everything. And when we realize that the prisoner stuck in a system of poverty and trauma and abuse is us, is ourselves, is part of our body, this changes everything. When we realize that there's no us and no them, there is only we. It changes everything. It changes our politics. It changes our practice. It changes the way we see our finances and how we choose to share. It changes how we approach our spirituality and our faith to begin with. You see, the ego-driven world wants us to believe and actively teaches us that we are separate from other people. That it is a dog-eat-dog world and we have to fight for whatever we get because there's never enough. And it tells us that rugged American individualism is the way to get ahead in the world regardless of whose backs we walk over, regardless of what our hearts say, regardless of who the system oppresses, regardless of how it disconnects us from the land that we live on. We are taught to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and stuff our emotions and man up and get ours. And this is the American way. It is the exploitative, capitalistic way. And it is a way of being that is based in the idea of separation from creation and separation from each other. It is the paradigm that historically the church has functioned under. And my friends, I'm telling you, I believe it in every molecule of myself that it is not the way of Christ. And in fact, most of our great mystics in our, in our Christian tradition understand that separation is an illusion that the ego dreamed up. So, I have for you some hallmarks of what I'm calling oneness-based living, which stands in contrast to what I'm calling separation-based living, which I just described to you, okay? So first off, good, you got it. Oneness-based living is radically empathetic. 
It puts itself in the shoes of other people, not as an exercise, but because they actually are part of us, and it uses its imagination and its rational mind and curiosity to understand how another person might be feeling and what they might be facing. Christ himself was a master at this, a master at leading with empathy rather than leading with judgment, at paying attention to the experiences of, and the feelings of the people around him and fostering heart-level connections. Oneness-based living is radically empathetic. Next, oneness-based living challenges and changes our judgment. So when we lead from the framework of oneness, it changes our entire way of being in the world. It helps us to refrain from criticism, but it also gives us license for authentic and prophetic critique. What's the difference? Criticism comes from the outside, it's dualistic, and it's judgmental. But when we realize that the system or person that we are upset with is us and is connected to us inextricably, then we can approach our problems with a system or person with more gentleness. We can approach it in a way that's able to say, why isn't this working? What are the feelings that are giving rise to these actions? And where's the communication breakdown? And so then we're able to approach our systemic problems with more curiosity and to lovingly critique a system or behavior in a helpful way, in a way that pushes us forward into oneness. So again, we move from judgment to empathy and from criticism to curiosity and prophetic critique. I wanna give you an example. So for instance, I feel very empowered to critique evangelicalism. The reason is it birthed me it nurtured me, I know it well, and whether I want it to be true or not, evangelicalism is still part of me. So, I am empowered and able to critique it and to take a hard look at its foibles and its mistakes, and in some cases, its utterly harmful catastrophes, and acknowledge them for what they are because I'm it and it's me, I can take steps to right its wrongs. And because it's a paradigm that I myself functioned under for many years of my life, I can pro prophetically, hopefully, critique it when I come at it from the perspective of oneness. Next, oneness-based living changes and challenges our way of serving in the world. So there's a lot being said and written here lately that I've come across about what's called white saviorism. Um, I actually posted a Sojourner's article in my Facebook feed recently that I, actually, I think all white people should uh, see. Colonialism taught us that we, that is we white colonial people, know all the answers and we have all the best systems and that basically other people need us to come in and solve all their problems for us, all their problems for them. So. That's an approach that assumes that they are them, and we are us, and they need what we have. And it's not a oneness-based approach to service. It's an ego and separation-based approach. So when we flip that mindset on its head, with the understanding that other people 
and other cultures and other races and other genders and other orientations, other socioeconomic statuses are us, are one with us in terms of the spiritual realm and the body of Christ, then we can approach service with more curiosity and more generosity. Oneness-based service asks the question, what are you doing that's working? And how can we partner with you for the greater good? It asks, what's the root cause of the problem according to the people who live inside the problem? Instead of, what do we as outsiders imagine the root cause of the problem to be based on our, our own separated imagination? In other words, oneness-based living makes us more effective helpers and less likely colonizers. You can give, you can give a little laugh, yeah. <laughs> Next, <clears throat> I'm giving you a lot, I realize, but I have a lot to say about this. Next, oneness-based living resists tribalism and nationalism, which are two grave problems we're facing in America right now, and they are inherently rooted in the illusion of separation. This outlook says tribalism Tribalism and national says, some are in, some are out. Here are the criteria for who's in and who's out. And it's often performative and more often dependent on external circumstances of our personhood that we have no control over. So, like, if we're white, then we fit in this category. If we're black or brown or indigenous category. Or if we believe a certain way, then we're allowed in certain circles and so on. But oneness teaches us that we are interdependent with our neighbors regardless of any external or cultural signifier and regardless of where that neighbor exists on the globe because borders don't limit our connection and socioeconomic status doesn't and gender identity and sexual orientation don't and race certainly doesn't. We are inextricably connected and what we do affects our siblings. See, oneness does not assume or insist upon sameness or homogeneity, but it does assume connectedness because after all, as the author and scientist Carl Sagan once puts it, once put it, we're made of star stuff. So because we are created of the same mess of primordial elements and connected by shared experiences created beings here on this planet, we can celebrate diversity and care for one another as siblings. Okay, oneness leads to wholeness. Oneness allows us to live inside the great web of being. So a perspective of oneness helps us to see our own selves more holistically. When we realize that our body and our minds and our spirits and our hearts are connected and that the division of the sacred and the ordinary was imaginary and dualistic to begin with, and we become free to nourish our own selves into good health by doing emotional work, by doing physical work, and maybe making physical changes in our environments and habits, by engaging in spiritual practice, because making ourselves more robust and vibrant and healthy does a service to the collective whole. So we value ourselves more when we see ourselves as existing within that web of being because we're part of the whole and there are others around us who need us to be our best selves, who need us to work through our trauma 
and need us to be encouraged and joyful so that we can help create more peace in the world and foster more love. So we love ourselves more because we know that we are part of a beloved community. And this doesn't mean that we become egotistical about our contributions in the world. It means we become more connected and more reciprocal. Oneness assumes abundance. Now, abundance could be its own sermon, and in fact it is. Aurelia preached it just a few weeks ago. It's called the abundance paradigm, and if you missed it, you should check it out because I've abbreviated this section because you just need to go listen to that sermon. Oneness sees the world's resources and just assumes that they're for everyone's use and assumes that every part of the earth should be cared for. So for more on this, skip over to the abundance paradigm. Oneness assumes abundance. Next. Oneness plays the long game. It is past, present, and future oriented. It sees instant gratification and it knows that it isn't enough. It isn't enough to destroy the earth at all because it looks forward to future generations and wants to take care of them too. Oneness looks to the past and learns from our mistakes because it knows that we, us, our sibling humans, made those mistakes and we are not immune from making them now. Oneness lives in the present but works toward a better future. Last one. Oneness is non-hierarchical. Um, an interesting note about the phrase that I used earlier, which was the great web of being. The original phrase is the great chain of being. And it comes from Plato and Aristotle, and it was appropriated by Christianity in the Middle Ages to express what the church imagined to be the hierarchy of beings in our relationship to each other and to God. So, in the great chain of being, God is at the top of the hierarchy, and then the angels, and then the stars and moon, and then the ruling class humans, like kings and stuff, and then commoner humans, and then kind of low-level humans, and then animals and plants and so forth. So the imagination of the church is historically hierarchical. But then we're, we're figuring out that Jesus comes along and he says, oh, well, I'm in my Father, and my Father is in me. We're one. And what you did to that one, you did to me. We're one. And let the little children come to me, because I'm one with them too. And he sits for meals with those low-level humans who he's also one with. And he prays in Gethsemane, make them one, as you and I are one God. And he says to us that the kingdom of God is near, and you're already in it if you just wake up and see. And he just overall advocates for us to realize that we are interconnected with each other and with the divine, and it's just a matter of becoming aware that this is true. St. Paul puts it this way. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. St. Paul, like Jesus, convinced that separation is an illusion at the, and that the core of our being 
is interconnectedness and oneness with love. So this is what we're doing together here at Peace. We are using oneness as our foundation level assumption. We are assuming that the people who annoy us are part of us. We are assuming that the suffering poor immigrant prisoner, sick person, orphan, refugee, etc., is us. And we're hoping that as we go along, we will get better and better at serving the world because we are waking up to and noticing our interconnectedness with it. And we are working together to turn our judgment into curiosity and empathy. And we're reminding each other that oneness is the antidote to the political chaos that we are experiencing right now. And we're constantly going back to the idea of our oneness with creation and humanity and with Christ because we believe that it has the power to change the world. Amen.